Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim vayet va'ele shemot b'nei Yisrael habaim mitzrayema et Yaakov ish v'yikra el Moshe v'yidaber Adonai elev me'ochel moed le'emor v'yidaber Adonai el Moshe b'midbar Sinai be'ochel ele Hadevarim asher debar Moshe el Vayar Elohim kitov Vayehi erev Vayehi bocher yom hashishi Vayehulo hashamayim v'haaretz v'kol tzva'am For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you believed Moses challenging words to the hearers of Yeshua's day. But what about today? Perhaps equally as challenging. As Christians and Messianic Jews alike often find the Torah of Moses difficult to penetrate, to follow, to understand, and apply. Following the traditional weekly Torah cycle, we'll consider each portion in light of Messianic faith, just as Yeshua said, for he wrote of me. So let's consider the heart of the Torah. Shalom, friends, and welcome to Messiah in Life. As we begin our study of the weekly Torah portion this week, I hope and pray that no matter where you are, that you are well, you are blessed, and you are safe in the Lord. This is a difficult season for many of us, but we are blessed to have the promises of God. And we are blessed to be about our Father's business, no matter how He ordains it to unfold. And we will continue on in the great commission that He has given to us through His Son, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. So be encouraged, even as we study a portion that deals with the death of Sarah, we find great encouragement to continue on in the days that are before us. So let's begin reading in Genesis chapter 23 and verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These are the years of the life of Sarah. And of course, as we read the opening of the portion, we're confronted not with a detailed account of the life of Sarah, we're confronted with the passing of Sarah. The rabbis, of course, connect this to what has unfolded in the previous chapter with the Akedah, the binding of Isaac upon Mount Moriah by Abraham. They speculate that one of the servants that had assisted Isaac and Jacob, or excuse me, Isaac and Abraham in the journey, runs before he sees the conclusion, before he sees Abraham's hand stayed. He runs back and tells Sarah, And as she receives this news, she believes that hope and promise has died, as Isaac was the one through whom God will fulfill the promise of many nations to Abraham and Sarah. She see, she dies from a lack of hope. She dies when hope dies. But yet there is a greater story that is unfolding. So, when we open this chapter, we see that Abraham must tend to Sarah. 
And he comes to her, and that's part of the speculation that where was he coming from but the binding of Isaac? And he comes and he mourns beside her. And then, of course, we see the episode between Abraham and the Hittites regarding a place to bury Sarah. As as Abraham said, he is a stranger and a sojourner among them. He recognizes that he, in their eyes, has no legal right to the land, even though it has been promised to Abraham's descendants. So he bargains for the cave of Machpelah and buries Sarah there. But Sarah's life continues. And how do we say this? Because immediately after this, in chapter 24, Abraham, who is, of course, now feeling the years, perhaps because of the death of Sarah, sends a servant, an unnamed servant. In this chapter, he is only identified as the servant or the man. And of course, the rabbis connect this back to Eliezer of Damascus that we read of in Genesis 15. So, Abraham sends this nameless senior servant that we speculate is Eliezer, my God is my help, to his family. Don't take a bride for my son from those who are here, from the ites of the land, we might say, but go back to my family. And the rabbis see in this that there was a miracle. After Abraham and Eliezer come to an agreement regarding the uh, prospect that a woman may not want to come back with him, that he'll be free from his obligation, from the oath that he has sworn, the rabbis see a miracle in the travel as he travels a distance that would ordinarily take 10 days, he travels in a day. And then, of course, that beautiful prayer and that beautiful plan in order to help him find the one that he, that God has ordained to be the bride of the son of Abraham, Isaac. And here comes Rebecca, here comes Rivka, seemingly out of nowhere to draw water in a time of the day that is not ordinarily uh, when a woman would come to draw water. And here she answers the prayer, but she does so in such a marvelous way as she, to the letter of what Eliezer has planned, has prayed and planned, but also in excess of that, she begins to water not only Eliezer to give him comfort and rest, but also his camels that are with him. So she draws more than a hundred gallons of water and she does so in such a beautiful and marvelous way to give them comfort. And we see this that Not only has she filled them from the journey, but as uh, a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Tom Renfro, pointed out in a discussion last evening, she fills them with living water and grace for the trip back to Abraham. Because they leave, of course, we see that very day. They leave to go back. Do not withhold me from returning to my master. And so she through this action, prepares them for the departure. And that is such a beautiful picture of how when the Lord calls, when the Lord sets a purpose before us, how we should not delay in fulfilling what he has spoken. But through this, where's Isaac? 
Where's Isaac? And now we get into what I'd really like to focus on because this is such a message of hope, even though it's not entirely obvious as we read through this portion, but we see something beautiful. Where was Isaac? He's not mentioned in chapter 23. He's not mentioned with regard to Excuse me, he's not mentioned in regard to the death of Sarah, the burial of Sarah. No, he only appears in chapter 24 when his bride approaches. So, where was he? We read in Genesis 24 and 62 that he was coming from, or he had come from, Be'er Lechai Roi. We know this from Genesis 16, verses 11 and 12. What does this mean? What does this Be'er Lechai Roi mean? The well of the one who lives and sees me. The well where God sees the outcasts. And why do we understand it that way? Well, because Hagar, who was um, sent out from the house of Abraham, is seen by God there. And she was herself an outcast. And it's understood that she actually settles in that place. So this is the place, the well where God sees the outcast, the one who lives and sees me. So why? Why does Isaac come from there after the burial of uh, Sarah where he's not mentioned? We don't know for sure if he was there or not, but it would seem that the Torah would include him being present if he was. He's not mentioned as Abraham sends for a bride for him until she appears. But the Torah is specific of where he came from, that he came from this well that is associated with Hagar. Why? Well, the rabbis say that Isaac saw the severity of God on Mount Moriah. He experienced the severity of God. He experienced the judgment of God. Excuse me, he experienced the dedication to God. And that Isaac, his heart being tender, he goes in search of the tenderness of the God of love and mercy who met an outcast by a well. He goes in search of the God who called Isaac, the God who has provided, or excuse me, the God who called Abraham, the God who provided for his father Abraham. And he goes to the well where God met the outcast, the lowest, the one who had been sent out of the house. Isaac goes to the place where Hagar met with God. So Isaac reminds us that God, the God who saw the outcast, Hagar, will also see us. And we find this so beautifully in the Gospels as Messiah reveals himself. We think of John chapter 7 and 38 and 39 just as a uh, an abbreviation of that. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Here is Messiah saying, I am the well. Come to me, the well. And of course, <coughs> he meets an outcast woman at a well in John chapter 4. See, Messiah saw and met the outcast, the sick, He beckoned all of us in need of comfort, in need of rest to come to him. Come to him as the well 
where the one who lives and sees me can be found. So no matter how low, no matter how run down we may feel, he is with us. He is there for us. Why? We learn in the gospels that he will not leave us as orphans. That's a promise he makes to the apostles, and it's a promise that the apostles make to all who are called and into relationship with the Messiah, but he will also not leave us as outcasts. To that place where we go as an outcast, that's the very place where Yeshua, Jesus, will meet us. But what else happens in this portion? And we'll bring all of this together. What else happens? Well, in Genesis 25 and verse 1, we read of continuation. We see that the Torah says, Vayosef Avraham Vayechach Isha Ushemo Keturah Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Fascinating, interesting, but there's something again happening here that is not readily apparent. As Abraham is approaching death, we read on in chapter 25, he begins to distribute his wealth. Excuse me. And he, of course, dies. And it says that he died full. He died content. Why? Because there's something that had unfolded that is not readily apparent. The rabbis explain that Keturah is actually Hagar. This is revealed in Genesis Rabbah 61 and verse 4. Rashi also agrees with this. So upon marrying Abraham, Hagar's name is changed. And we see, of course, the name change when Abraham or Avram and Sarai are brought into a covenant. When the covenant is cut in the flesh of Abraham, they also go through a name change, signifying a change in life and a change of purpose. And here we see Hagar's name, if this be true, changed from Hagar to Keturah, meaning perfumed or incense aroma. And why would it be Keturah? Because she's familiar to Abraham and in her aroma, Abraham is comforted. So Isaac comes again from Ba'ir Lachi Roi, a well that we only know because of Hagar. This is where she settles. And Isaac, here's something beautiful. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sends his unnamed servant, the man, out to find a bride for Isaac. But here, where Isaac is coming from, where he is coming from and he meets his bride, then we find that Isaac brings a wife for Abraham to reconcile the family. So this all unfolds in that same uh, narrative text. 24.62, now Isaac had returned from Be'er Lechiroi and was dwelling in the Negev. He was dwelling to the south at the time. But then it says in 25 verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Lechiroi. So as... Isaac comes home, and as Isaac meets his own bride, we find that Isaac 
brings a bride for his father. So Isaac is comforted after the death of Sarah. And so is Abraham. So Isaac then settles, as I've read, at Bayir Lahiroi, where Keturah or Hagar had settled. Why? To be near family. To be near family after the death of Abraham. To be near the place where God met the outcast by the well. And here is where we are bringing this to a point. We find in all of this the power of forgiveness, the power of restoration. Abraham is able to be comforted and content after the passing of Sarah. We see him have other children. We see that he gives each of them gifts as he sends them to make their own settlements, to make their own place in the world. And he gives the bulk of his estate, the double portion, of course, to Isaac. But then we see Isaac and Ishmael are brought back together. Why? Perhaps because of the work that Isaac does. When Abraham has sent and is working to find a bride, Isaac is there in by the well, working and speaking, engaging, reconciling with Hagar, Keturah, and with Ishmael. Because then we see Abraham, excuse me, then we see Isaac and Ishmael bury their father, Abraham. So the power of forgiveness, the power of restoration comes from the place where we meet God at the well. It's such a powerful picture that Isaac goes from the heights of Mount Moriah, where he sees the severity of God, to the depths of the well, where he finds the God of comfort and tenderness, who met the outcast the living one who was there. And of course, Messiah in his great discourses beckons us to come to him when we are thirsty, when we need rest, come and drink because he is the well for the ones who have been outcast. He is the well for the ones who have been orphaned. He is the well where we find forgiveness, restoration, peace, hope, joy, even in the midst of great turmoil in our own life. When we see a well in scripture, we see restoration, we see fullness, and we also see a change in the destiny of the people who are met there by the God who lives and the God who sees me. Friends, I hope and pray that you found encouragement in these words today. I hope and pray that you found in the portion of Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah that sees that Sarah's life did indeed continue on in the family and that even today she still endures <clears throat> because as we know our God is the God of the living not the dead so be encouraged if you are feeling outcast, if you are feeling isolated, if you are feeling rejected, go to that living well. Go to Yeshua. He is beckoning you to come to him and drink because you will no longer be an orphan 
and you will no longer be an outcast when you rest in him. Amen. Amen. So until next time, excuse me, friends, I hope and pray that the Lord bless and keep you all safe, encouraged, and blessed. May the Lord bless and keep you in the mighty name of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll be back together again next week. Thank you.